The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist's words are marvelous as we face the issues of today and tomorrow with strength and courage. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight, and I hope that you'll take the time to invite someone else to be with us. My prayer is that you will be blessed both by the word and the music. Would you hear now please the word from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it's 2 Corinthians chapter four, beginning at verse seven. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A survey was given in this nation a few years back, and there were two questions asked. The first question was this, are you afraid of anything? The second question was, if so, what? Nobody needs to tell us that 95% of the people answered that question, yes. And the great majority of those people said that the thing they were the most concerned about was money matters. But they also said following that, that they were concerned about the future of the world, the future of the nation, the future of civilization itself. And if you were to ask that same question today, I imagine you would have the same answers. 
People would be concerned about money matters, about the economy, the stock market, about making ends meet, and those kind of things. And people would also be concerned about this nation, the future of this nation, the future of the world, the future of civilization. Dr. David Jeremiah wrote a book recently, and in that book he titled it, What in the World is Going On? He wrote, Never before in my lifetime have I read such jarring headlines, distressing news analysts, or dire predictions of America and the world. When you get right down to it, there are a lot of pessimists in the world. People who are so worried that they simply despair and become very cynical. These people don't believe in the future of humankind. Not long ago, I saw a Peanuts cartoon where Lucy was very depressed, and she said, I only dread one day at a time. There are a lot of people that are living that out. They only dread one day at a time. But that ought not to be said of you and me. That ought not to be descriptive of a Christian, not in any sense of the word. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be realistic and understand the conditions of our world, but a Christian is supposed to bring encouragement and hope to the world. Peter Gomes, preaching in the Harvard Chapel, said this, that the Christian hope is the confidence in the future of God that enables us to do the things we do in the present. So a Christian would say these words, listen, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken and struck down, but not destroyed. Paul could say this. What Paul was saying is, in spite of all the difficulties he had, in spite of all his collapsed dreams, he knew he could make it. Now I want you to contrast that statement of Paul in our text with what he said much earlier. We go back to chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we've experienced in Asia, but we were so utterly unbearably crushed as we despaired of life itself. What happened during those years between what Paul said in our text and what Paul said then? Paul discovered in those years that God was faithful to his people. Paul discovered that he could experience the same power that Jesus Christ experienced in his life. Paul discovered that it was the power of God that brought about the resurrection of Christ that he could experience in his own life. And so like Paul, we Christians ought to be able to say the same thing about being afflicted but not brought down. First of all, we can believe in tomorrow if we reckon the future with God. We can believe in tomorrow if we reckon the future with God. We can acknowledge the fact that the first word is still the last word. In the beginning, God created. And if we look at this world, all the evidence seems to point to an intelligence. It seems to point to a design, a plan, the will. It points to some of these things, and we can experience God just like that. Years ago, my wife and I lived in Dallas, Texas, and we had a friend. Her name was Betty Thornhill. She lived in the suburbs of Dallas. Every year, the geese, hundreds of them, geese, hundreds of them would fly in. She lived on a lake. They would circle her lake, and then they would land, and they would stay all winter long. This was just before the wintertime in the fall of the year. It was quite a sight to see Betty out there with her bonnet throwing food to these geese. But just as surely as time itself, in the springtime, those geese would rise up from that lake. They would fly around at one time, and then they would head back north. And it happened like clockwork. 
And to me, there is no such thing as random chance when that is going on. Or if you ever heard about the ills, a man named Dr. Cressy Morrison wrote a book that said, man does not stand alone. In that, he said that all ills, when they come to maturity, they will fly to the streams off the Bermuda coast. And he said these ills will go there to reproduce. And said once they reproduce the young, they die. But he said immediately those young eels would go right back to the locality from which the mother came. And you never found American eels in European waters or European eels in American waters. You see, there is an intelligence, a design that's about all of this that seems to be moving these geese throughout the world. Napoleon Bonaparte, the great commanding general, was one night on a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It was a starlit night, and he happened to be passing some of his troops who were standing there, and they were mocking God, the God of the heavens. And he said that Napoleon stopped, and he looked up into the sky, and he waved his hand across, and he said, First, you must get rid of these, pointing to the stars. Well, there's simply no way we can get rid of these, you see. Now, a cell is the basic unit of a person's life. A cell is what makes us all live. We're told that human beings have over 10 million cells, but one living thing is never like another living thing. If I had ever thought about the randomness of God in the world or the randomness of things without God, it would have all been solved the day I saw my grandchild born. I actually saw him brought into the world, and it would have taken care of all random chances at that moment. And then if we keep looking at humankind, we'll find something even more amazing that points out the time of God in our lives. For instance, if we keep looking at humankind, we'll suddenly remember the words of Paul out on the Damascus Road. He had his Damascus Road experience, and Paul talked about God, but we say if we could have the same experience Paul had, we'd talk about the presence of God too, but we can't have that. Don't be too sure. Just because you don't have this lighting experience on the way, or just because it's so dramatic, don't think that you don't have a Damascus experience. Have you ever, ever, just for a moment, been confident of God? Have you ever had a moment of confidence with God? Maybe it was when you looked out across the seashore or on the mountaintops. Maybe it's when you looked at your grandchild or your child in the face. But at that moment, in that very brief moment, you knew that God was there and you knew that that was a God. And you keep on going back to that again and again and again for reassurance, if only a moment. Dr. Gardner Taylor is the pastor emeritus of the Concord Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York, where he served for 52 years. He said the most nervous he ever got was when he went to Harvard to speak for the first time. He said he remembered that venerable old school was the first of American schools. He said when he went in to make his speech, he went into the old Harvard Chapel and he looked to the left and on the wall were the words of Ralph Emerson. These were the words that he had given in his commencement speech of 1838 or thereabouts. The first line exhorted people to acquaint thyself with deity. This was Taylor's and Emerson's way of testifying to their experience on the Damascus Road. You remember the Chronicles of Narna. The first one was the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. You remember Lucy, 
met this majestic lion named Ashland. He was the Christ figure throughout. But in a later one of the chronicles, the Prince of Caspian, she encountered Ashland again. And this time she said, you're so much bigger. He said, no, you're just older. You're not bigger. He said, the more you grow, the bigger I will become. And that's what I'm talking about when I say we can have hope for tomorrow. The more we concentrate and figure the future with God, the bigger he's going to become. That's exactly the way it was with the Apostle Paul. He began to realize that the same experience Jesus had, the same power he had, was the same power that Paul could have. And so he looked back and he realized that in the memory of God, he faced the future in the memory of God, that same memory that brought Jesus Christ back from the dead. And I think it was also John Greenleaf Whittier that gave us this in his, his words, eternal God. He wrote, I know not where his islands lift their fronted palms in air. I only know I cannot drift beyond God's love and care. So the point is, reckoning the future with God makes a tremendous difference. We can have a future because we reckon that future with God. And then secondly, we can believe in tomorrow when we think of humankind's potential. When we think of humankind's potential. You know, potential is something that's so significant in every area of life. Potential. It's not what we've done or what we are right now. It's our potential. What about the potential of the stock market? What about the potential of the employee? What about the potential of the church? What about the potential of the athlete? And on and on it goes, the potential. I remember reading the story of Paul Harvey, the great icon of American radio. It was at the age of 14 that one of his teachers realized his vast potential, and she made an appointment at the radio station. She even went to meet with him and the people he met with because she had seen his vast potential, and she realized that once people heard the voice of Paul Harvey, they would never want to cut him off again. And that is certainly true. So, what's the potential of humankind? The trouble in America is that we tend to look at all the bad things. We tend to look at the realism of things, if you please. We go to our movies and read our novels, things that are so sordid, they're filthy and dirty and profane and ugly. And then we tend to see humankind as sex-driven maniacs, both men and women. And as we look at our television programs and we look at our movies, we're not helped too much by looking at those that are blasting forth today. I can even understand how our enemies would look at our programs and they would say, you see, America has decayed. America is like these programs. You see, they look at the programs and reflect on the American people. And consequently, that becomes a disaster for everybody. So uh, the image of America is not too good around the world. But you and I as Christians know something a whole lot different about the potential of humankind, especially if we believe in the incarnation. I believe in the incarnation. I believe that God manifested himself in Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus Christ was also the picture of humankind, how humankind should be. It was as if God got impatient with us, and God said, all right, look, once and for all, I'm going to show you what I am. He said, here's Jesus, his mother's Mary. Look into his face, and you'll know what I am. But then he said, now I want to tell you something else. 
I want to tell you about this human condition. I want to tell you about this clay, this body, this mind, the emotions. I want to tell you about all of these things as well. And if the incarnation says that this is what happened to Jesus, if we trust in God and look to Jesus, the same thing can often happen in us. So if we look at Jesus and we see how Jesus lived his life, we can understand how humankind should live its life, can live up to its capability to live up to its capacity. When I think of our human potential before God, I remember something that Gary Smalley would do in his seminars. Gary Smalley had a wonderful thing. He was an outstanding speaker. He would get an old violin, and he would hold the violin up to the people in the seminar, and it would look old, it looked like an antique, but it looked like it needed a lot of repair work. So he would hold it high, and he would say, all right, do you people have any idea what the value of this violin is? And before they could answer, he would say, from 800000 to a million dollars. And then he would pull it down, and he would look into the face of it, and he would look inside, and he would say, you see, there's something written inside. It says, 1772, Stradivarius, Stradivarius. So what he was saying was, you need to take this and print it across the forehead of your spouse, of your child, of your friends, because everybody's more valuable than this violin. And then I would say, you ought to take that and place it on your own forehead, whoever you are, and live up to your potential with God. Now, I think Mother Teresa had the right idea. She described herself as a pencil in the hands of God, writing love letters to his people. That's a wonderful way to talk about potential. So when we look at the vast potential of humankind, we can keep our hope in the aura. And then one other thing here that's equally important. We can also believe in tomorrow if we keep working at it, if we keep working at it. Now suppose, just suppose the Apostle Paul, after his Damascus Road experience, suddenly went over and sat on the sidelines as he watched this small Christian enterprise approach this large pagan world. He would have become very frustrated he would say, there's no way this group can influence that group. It's so small and that group is so large. He would have said, it's impossible to change people. It's just not going to work. Because you see, sitting on the sidelines does that. Sitting on the sidelines makes you despair. It takes your hope away sitting on the sidelines. But we know that Paul didn't just sit on the sidelines. Paul got into the thick of the battle. And Paul struggled. Even though he suffered, he struggled. Listen to his testimony again. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You see, Paul engaged in the struggle. He actually was working at it. Now let's think for a minute about those pilgrims who came over to this nation in 1620 and landed on Pilgrim's Rock. You remember it was 1620 in the dead of winter. Everything was bleak and barren. And you remember these people, they worked at it. They worked at trying to keep going. Now, if we had been looking at those pilgrims trying to make something out of this wilderness, and we were sitting on the sidelines, we would have said, there's no way that can happen. They can't do anything. We would have seen the fact that half their numbers died in the first winter. We would have seen them hungry and full of diseases and all kind of troubles. And we would have said, there's no way. And yet, as one historian wrote, 
in April of that year, the Mayflower sailed back to England, and there was not one colonist aboard. Not one colonist aboard. You see, these people, they had tasted freedom, and they were working at it. Now, beloved, I know a lot of people who have no hope in this world, no hope whatsoever. They don't believe in anything. They believe only in doomsday, and it's sure to come, and they're sitting over there on the sideline. On the other hand, I know a lot of other people that have great hope for humankind, for the church, the nation, and civilization. And almost to the one, these people are working at it. They're working at it. There was a missionary by the name of A.W. Milner. He went to the great high bridge in the South Pacific. And there he went to a tribe of people. Every missionary before him had lost their life to these headhunters. He was pretty sure he was going to die, but he'd already died to himself, so he wasn't too concerned. He spent 35 years of his life working with that tribe there, and he loved them, he lived with them, he worked with them. And when he died, those people put his grave right in the middle of the village, and they put the epitaph on his tombstone that read, When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Beloved, we ourselves can believe in tomorrow if we're willing to work at it if we're willing to work at it. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for this day and the opportunity of being together. We're thankful for this tremendous lesson that gives us hope and strength as we face difficult times and hours. We're thankful, O oh God, that you're with us in all things and you call us to be with you in service so that we may affect this world for good and righteousness. Thank you again for this time together. I'm so thankful that you joined me tonight, and as I said at the beginning of the broadcast, I hope you will share this ministry with others. We would love to have you, and if you need a prayer request, please get in touch with us. We would love to pray for you, and we thank you for your presence tonight. Have a good evening. Good night.
Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air, so please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031, or you can give securely online at halbradyministries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.